0: Welcome to our verse-by-verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. All right, so good morning church. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, and we'll continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we're going to open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into the text for tonight, this morning, excuse me. I'm ready to preach all day long about that. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time, this opportunity to sit at your feet, to hear from you, Lord God. And Lord, as, as you were ministering to my heart during the, during the worship, so many of the songs spoke, spoke just great and amazing things to my own heart, and I thank you for that. And I know you have a message for all of us right where we are, and we come. You know, with so many different ways and so many different places and so many different things, so many different burdens, so many different just seasons of life and, and situations that are going on. And, and Lord, I just, as, as we were singing that last song, I just found myself in that place of just, of just having put all of the stuff of life aside and being able to focus my heart on you. And I pray, Lord, that all of us had a chance to do that. And that even as we sit and, and we hear from, from your Spirit, out of your Word, what you would say to your church, we pray, Lord, that you help us to do it again. That we would be able to take this time and be able to be still before you. And that we would be able to, to block out all this stuff of life. It'll still be there when we're done here this morning. But maybe you'll give us something this morning that will help us to go back into those things and to deal with them in a way that will glorify you and will bless others and will grow faith. We praise you for these things this morning. We pray for your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would, you would minister to your messenger this morning that I might be able to be able to bring your message to your people. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In chapter 10... Jesus called his 12 disciples and instructed them to go out into the cities of the people of the Jews. So to go just to the Jews and to teach, preach, and do miracles, which they did. And then chapter 11 opens with Jesus doing exactly what he just told them to do. Um, There are some who would put verse 1 of chapter 11 into verse 10, you know, depending on how you feel about that, it is where it is, so that's where we're, that's where we're putting it. So let's read verse 1, and then we'll, then we'll continue on. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. That would be the cities of the Jews. He turns attention, the attention turns immediately to another character, which we've seen earlier in, in the text, but back to John the Baptist. Verse 2. And when John, John the Baptist, had heard in prison about the works of Jesus, the works would be the miracles of Jesus, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or we, do we look for another? John is in prison, and um, he was imprisoned by King, by King Herod. And he was locked up because he kept saying stuff that Herod and, and the, the ruling establishment didn't like. And he wouldn't stop talking about righteousness and holiness and the kingdom of God. He kept preaching the fact that, hey, you guys are messed up. And if you keep, if you keep down this pathway, God's, gonna, you know, God's not happy about that. And, uh, and so they had him locked up. We know um, at, at some point, John is going to be beheaded there in that prison. And so the sense that we get from this text is that, and what many believe, that John has already been in prison for some period of time, probably about 18 months he's been in prison. And he may see the handwriting on the wall. He's hearing about Jesus and he knows he is not the Messiah. You know, John said, I am not the Messiah. I, I am just here to prepare the way for the Messiah. And, and after 18 months in prison, he still has disciples. And he knows, you know what? I got to deal with these guys. They can't, keep, they can't keep being my disciples. And he even said when, you know, when people are complaining that Jesus was getting more done than he was, he says, hey, it's not about me. He must increase. I must decrease. He, Jesus, must be the primary focus. I must go into the background. And eventually he would go into the background, though he never, we never lost him, him from the Scriptures. Remember that John was the very first one to point to Jesus and call him out as what he was pointed to him. In John 1, 29, he says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even in prison, John is pointing people to Jesus, sending his disciples and ask them this question. Are you the coming one? The coming one, that's the only place that that phrase is used in the the Bible. And the the idea of it is, is, you know, another way of saying is, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the Savior? Are you the one who has come to deliver us? Now, I don't think it's that John had any question about that. We see early on that John had a pretty good idea who Jesus was, right from very early on, but his disciples needed to hear it. Disciples needed the answer to this question. And as, as you know, people, you know, we need to recognize something that within the scriptures, and we don't, we, don't, you know, we don't go to the scriptures for leadership tips, but you can certainly figure out how to be a good leader if you're studying the scriptures. What John is doing is, is that every leader should be encouraging people to follow Jesus, not the leader. That if you're a good leader, you're leading your people to Jesus and you're encouraging them to follow Jesus. Now they may keep following you, that's okay, but their eyes need to be on Jesus as they're doing it. Boy, if this country had a, bunch, a whole bunch of leaders that were leading people to Jesus, wouldn't we be in a better place? Somebody say yes, we would. It would be much better if people, if our leaders were leading us to Jesus. We're not going to get all political this morning. I know some of you'd like to, but, you know, stay after church and talk about it among yourselves. So Jesus answers the question. I want you to listen very carefully to Jesus' answer to the question, are you the coming one? This is what he says, verses four through six. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Does he answer the question? The question was, are you the Messiah? Does he answer the question? Not directly he doesn't, but he does refer to something that was said in the Old Testament. And David read it to us. There are many places in the Bible where it says there are certain things that you can look for in the coming one, in the Messiah, the one who is coming to deliver us, to deliver us from oppression. Not the oppression of the Romans, but the oppression of sin. And these are some of the things you should look for. The very things that Jesus was doing so frequently that the Apostle John says, we, we couldn't even keep track of it all. It was so much. If, if we tried to write it all down, the world could not contain the books that, it would, that they, would, they would entail. Listen, the proof of who Jesus is, the proof of his identity, what he's saying here, is the proof of his identity is the lives that were changed because of him. Jesus came to heal. It's one of the things he did. And what we sometimes do, we focus on the miracles of healing. And that's okay. Those are good. But that was not the main healing that he did. The main healing he did was from sin he healed people of the sickness, the disease, the the life altering disease of sin. No different today. The most powerful testimony that anyone can give concerning the reality of who Jesus is is a changed life. Romans 1.16 says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The reality is, is that you can preach the most powerful, radical, Scripture-based sermon that has ever left the lips of a human being, and people might just full-on ignore it. But if you live a life that resembles Christ and it, it is radically different than the life you lived before, people look at that and say, okay, there's something happened here. Something happened here. And they're likely to hear it, they're likely to see it, they're likely to believe it. Now, we must be willing to tell people about Jesus. We must. We must be willing to do that. You may be terrified of the idea. You may feel that you don't know enough to say anything, blah, blah, blah. You may be afraid of what happened. If you do say it, listen. If you do nothing else, you live the life that Jesus would have for you personally. You live a life that resembles Jesus Christ. Now, I promise you, if you do that, you are eventually going to say something. We talk about lifestyle evangelism, and it gets a bad rap, you know, because the idea of lifestyle evangelism, you just live like Jesus, and you don't have to say anything, right? Well, but can you actually live like Jesus and not say something? Is that even possible? And the answer is no. If you live like Jesus, Jesus is living in you, and he's going to live out of you. He's, he is going to say something. It's going to become part of how you speak and think and act. You're not going to be able to help yourself. Something about the way that you live your life, it's just going to come out. But it has to be our desire. Jesus, I want to live like you today. I want to think like you. I want to act like you. I want to, everything I do, I want to feel like you. I want to feel the same things that you feel, God. And if you'll do that, he will lead you to those places where, you know, that stuff will just come out. We don't have to, we don't have to get all anxious and worked up. You know, what am I gonna say? What am I gonna do? Just be Jesus. Just be as as Jesus as you possibly can be. You know, with whatever, you know, whatever you're wherever you're at, whatever, however you're doing it, you just learn more and more about how to be like Jesus and you just do it. And I promise you, it's just gonna come out of you. And it'll be good. People cannot cannot deny it. They can argue with it. They can can reject it. And that's, that's a part of living like Jesus because if you live like Jesus, you're going to get the same results that Jesus got, right? Did everybody accept Jesus? No. How do we know that? Because they hung him on a cross and killed him. That's how we know. They rejected him. They might reject you too. Well, what if they reject me? Oh, poor you. let the gospel change you. That's the main thing. Let the gospel change you. And then if it changes you, people are going to notice that. Jesus then talks about John here, in verse, starting in verse 7. As they departed, <clears throat> that'd be John's disciples, Jesus began to say to the multitudes, that means multitudes, everywhere you read multitudes in the gospels, it's almost always referring to large crowds of people, like thousands of people. So he's gathered multiple, multitudes, he does on a regular basis, there are, there are a multitude around him now. He says to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? It, when during John while John had his ministry he was out near the Jordan or around the Jordan River baptizing and preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God and people were thronging going out into the wilderness to see this 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 weird preacher out in the wilderness because he was weird he you know he dressed funny he ate funny he was a he was a hard speaking preacher he'd get in your face about what was going on? What, you know, you got in the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind. No, he wasn't that. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. No, he wasn't that. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet... Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he and from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah to come. And so, so Jesus talking about John the Baptist, he's, I mean, there's a ton in that. <clears throat> but one of the things he says refers to him as a prophet. And he is the last of what we refer to as the Old Testament prophets, the guys like Elijah and, and Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and, and all of those guys, Daniel and the, and, and the rest. He is the last of that generation, of that style of prophet, who, who was the primary vehicle through whom God was speaking to the world, the way that God was operating in the world, he would speak to a man, that man would speak to the people. And so the message would come to a prophet. The prophet was called to be faithful to God and give the, the people whatever message that God gave them. And so when that happened, he, they, they would do that, and often they, they, they felt this compulsion to do exactly what God said. It was a different way. It doesn't happen like that with us today. God had a different way of speaking And so once Jesus began his public ministry, God changed the way that he speaks to people. We read that in Hebrews 1.1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So when the word of God came, it came by the prophets. But has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So God changed the way that he was speaking to the world. And, and we recognize now that there is a different way, that we, you know, I, I, I'm not a prophet, I, 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 but I do recognize God speaking to me. I, I, I hear his voice. Now, not, you know, not, you know, James Earl Jones or whatever his name is, you know, booming, deep, baritone voice, but I sense his presence in me. I sense his voice. And I, 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 I am so thankful for that. You know, the people of the Old Testament, we often give them a hard time because they did such dumb stuff on a regular basis. They, they rebelled against God. They worshiped idols. They did all those things. But they didn't, they didn't have the relationship with God that you have. They didn't have that. You know, they were depending upon other people to speak to them for God. You've got to be so thankful says that he is Elijah. John's ministry was very much like the ministry of Elijah. If you read Elijah, you know, the, 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 the accounts of Elijah's ministry, there's a lot of similarity between Elijah and John the Baptist, well, quite a few similarities, you know, from personal appearance and, and lifestyle and message, very, very similar. And the, the Jews were expecting Elijah to come back, they expected him to come back before the Messiah, and 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 what what and that was based on a prophecy that one at least one of those prophecies is, in, is very very near the end of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter four. And then when when the angel Gabriel appeared to John's father. Before he was conceived, before he was conceived, Gabriel said this about John in Luke 1, verse 17. He will also go before him, that would be the Messiah, who then we also translate into uh, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So when God when God... Even before, even before John was conceived, the angel said, This is who he is, this is what he's going to do. And John, and when we read the accounts of John, there is no deviation from that at all. He followed the plan of God exactly. And, and here he is, as he is in prison, he has fulfilled his ministry. He's done. And it won't be long after this that the Lord takes him through beheading, which is, I don't know, that's not a way that I would volunteer to go to be with Jesus, but probably better than some. He's done. And now it's time for all focus to go to Jesus. And Jesus says something that I think that often gets overlooked It's a reminder to us that the message that we preach, the message that we speak, is not for everyone. In verse 15, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's very common in the book of Revelation. You see it regularly in the book of Revelation. It's a challenge. Check yourself to make sure that your spiritual ears are open to hear what God is saying. When we come on a Sunday morning, man, if we aren't ready, if we aren't ready for the Lord to speak to us, that's, that is tragic. God brings us together. I mean, I like hanging out with you all. But God has a bigger, grander thing he wants to accomplish here. We need to make sure we're listening with spiritual ears, open to whatever God might want to say, even if it's something we don't want to hear, right? Could God say something to you that you don't want to hear? Not me, Pastor. You don't know me. I know you well enough. Verse 16. Speaking to some who, who didn't hear, who heard but didn't hear. Verse 16, but to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions saying, we played the flute for you and you, didn't, you did not dance. We mourned to you, but you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but... Wisdom is justified by her children. Jesus turns his attention here to, to those he is ministering to and has been ministering to, those places. We're going to get into them specifically. And says, they had heard the words. They had heard the words of the prophets, and then they they then they heard the words of Christ. He says, Okay, you heard the words of the prophets and you treated them like, like they had demons and now you've heard my words and you treat them you treat them as if you were hearing them from a sinner they had heard the words of god they had heard the words of christ and all of them were words that god was calling them to respond to they had heard and seen enough to believe the reality is, and one of the hard things is when when your heart is touched by God, when you start to care about the fact that there are people around you who are racing toward an eternal destruction, racing toward eternal separation from God, when you start to really care about that, You want to share God's word with them. You want to share the truth with them. You want them to respond. And and there's a there's a part inside of us that that we 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 struggle with this this fact that well, I responded. Everybody should respond. Everybody should be like me. Everybody should get it like I get it. But we know that's not true, is it? That's not reality. That's not how it happens. Some will reject the light of Jesus Christ, no matter how God reveals it to them. He reveals it to them like the, like the Old Testament prophets spoke it, and they worked miracles too. There were miracles back in the Old Testament, and they, spoke these th- they did these radical things, and they, they spoke these profound words to people. They rejected that. Then Jesus comes on the scene. He does it differently. He's still working lots of miracles, lots and lots of miracles, and he's teaching in a way that is gentle and humble and meek. And they rejected that. So what else can we do? What else can we do to get you to believe? Listen, regardless of how you live your life and express your faith, whether strongly or weakly or inadequately or perfectly, for some people it doesn't matter. They're not going to respond. They'll be offended. They'll be offended by what you're saying. They'll be offended by the way you live your life. They'll be offended by what you believe. They're going to be offended by something. And they will be unwilling to hear. Not that they can't hear. They're unwilling to hear. J.C. Ryle says this. The plain truth is that true believers must not Expect unconverted men to be satisfied either with their faith or their practice. We must not expect people to respond. Don't expect it. They may not. They might, but they may not. Our best approach. To this concept of the reality that some will not receive, probably some is not accurate, most will not receive. Our best response to that truth is to not concern ourselves with their response. It's not our responsibility. Their response is God's responsibility, not ours. Our concern Our attitude, our desire ought to be to seek God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love him with our entire being, to know him, as intimately as we possibly can, and to to know his word, and to obey his word, and the leading of his Holy Spirit to the very best of our ability, doing everything we can to live like Christ. That's our focus. Our focus ought to be on that. My focus is on God, and living a life that honors him, that glorifies him, that blesses him. If I do that, it's going to touch people's lives around me. If I follow hard after Jesus, he's going to tell me who to talk to. He's going to tell me what to say. He's going to give me the words that have the greatest opportunity to influence them toward him. I just have to seek him with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need to remind ourselves of something that is often hard for us to accept. Kelly can tell you in her own testimony of how this was hard for her to accept, that the unsaved can't understand what you're talking about. It's just not in them to understand it. You say, like I said, you could preach a perfect sermon to them and they're not going to get it. In 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Listen, in our hearts, we must turn them over to God and trust Him to do a work in their heart because until He does a work in their heart, they are completely blind and deaf to the gospel message. It's only when the Holy Spirit does a work inside of them that the gospel message has a place to land, has a place, has fertile ground to grow in. Our problem is we never know when that is. So what should we do? We follow Jesus. And when Jesus tells us to talk to them, we talk to them. When he tells us to, to tell them the gospel message, we tell them the gospel message. When we t- and he tells us to share something about what, what God is doing in our lives, we share what God's doing in our lives. When we, when, when we sense the Spirit moving in any way, we try to draw that out naturally in the conversation we have with the people around us. And when it's right, the time is right, God is doing a work in there that we can't see, we don't know. You know, he may reveal something to us, but a lot of times we're, comp- we're completely blind to what the Spirit is doing in them. We have a hard time seeing what he's doing in us, right? I mean, anybody? Sometimes like, I, I think you're doing something in there, Lord, but I have no idea what it is. And I'm not sure I really want it to happen. No, that's never you. Maybe it's just me. Turn them over to God. Trust him to touch their heart. Trust him to change them. Amen? Jesus then has some strong words for the cities where he did most of his ministry. There's, Jesus' ministry covered a fairly large area, but most of it was concentrated in, in these places we're gonna see in this text right now, verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. When you read they did not repent, what, is that, what does that say to us? It says they could have. And they should have. When they saw what Jesus was doing, they heard his message, they saw his miracles, they had everything they needed to believe. They should have, they could have, and they did not. We see a similar thing in the book of Revelation very often where we see all these terrible things happening, the opposite of what's happening in the, in the Gospels where all these positive things, Jesus doing miracle after miracle after miracle. In, the, in, the, in Revelations, the other way around, it's judgment, 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 disaster, disaster, disaster. And what does it say about them? And they did not repent. The reality is some people just aren't going to do it. And we don't know if that's true of those people we love. And so we're going to love them. We're going we're to we're show them Jesus with every thought and word that we have. And we're just going to keep at it. I just looked at the clock. I'm supposed to be done. I've only got about 20 minutes left. So I told, I told David I was going to finish early. So there we go. They did not repent. Jesus, God in the flesh, came Of anyone who should have believed and repented, it would have been those people that he ministered to personally and intimately. Can you imagine if Jesus showed up in Murrieta and and walked from place to place and and healing every person he comes in contact with? Just, just, you know, loaves and fishes, kinds of miracles, calming the storms, all those things going on all around him. Everybody would believe, right? Nope. Nope. Verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works in which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it'd be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, because that's where the where Jesus kind of headquartered his ministries, exalted to heaven, so because Jesus was living and ministering there, he brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Just comparing these, these Jewish cities with Gentile cities. And, and, and in, a, in a Jewish mind, there was no comparison. Jewish cities were lost. The, the, or, you know, Gentile cities were lost. Jewish cities are good or holy or right. They're, they're right before God. And he's saying, no, you, you deserve judgment greater than these wicked, evil, worldly, carnal cities. Jesus is the light of the world. And he came to those places and brought the light of God, the light of the truth, the light of the word of God, the light of the power and majesty and and love and grace and mercy of God to these places, and they rejected it. When they stand before God, they're gonna give an account for rejecting the light. When people choose not to be saved, because that's, that's how you end up not getting saved, you've made that choice not to be saved. You've seen the light. And when they stand before God someday, they're not going to be judged for their sin. They're going to be judged because they rejected the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. The question will be, what did you do with Jesus? Did you accept him or did you reject him? did you believe or choose not to believe that's what will judge people as believers we have a duty to share the gospel with anyone that we can it's our responsibility to give them the light but then they're responsible for every bit of light that they get some only need to hear the hear the gospel a few times and they're saved Others, they need to hear it for a lifetime. How many times should we share the gospel? How many different ways should we share the gospel with someone before we stop? At least one more time. And if you get another chance, one more time, and one more time, and one more time. You know when you stop sharing the gospel with somebody? When God tells you to stop till then every opportunity gets you you do do something you show them something you share something with them you you do something so that they see something see the light you want them to see the light and you keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it until until god tells you to stop verse 25 at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord, he- Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered. No, verse 26, stop there. I'm, I'm in a hurry. Slow down. You know, it's usually those that are wise in their own eyes that have a heart, really struggled with the gospel. The gospel's simple, the gospel's easy. The reality that God sent Jesus to die for our sins, that our sins separate us from God, Jesus came to restore us back into a right relationship with God, that's too simple. It's too easy. Not easy, but it's simple. The sin that will keep almost everybody out of heaven is pride. And Jesus makes this declaration, verse 27, about his relationship with the Father. All things have been delivered to me, excuse me, to me by my Father, and no one knows the fa- Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. You know, all things, when we see all things, you always have to ask the question, well, what things? Well, all things means what? All things. You know, is there anything in your life that, that isn't given to Jesus? No. Every bit of your life is given to Jesus, including your life. Your life is Jesus's. He's given it. The Father has given your life to Jesus. I'll tell you, that is an encouragement to me. The guy who died on the cross, God in the flesh, the Son of God, died for me. And now my life is in his hands. I can trust all of my stuff to him. All of my circumstances, all my cares, all my worries, all my grief, all my fears, all my anxiety, all those things, I can just give it to him because he cares. There's also a description here in this that is describing himself as different than humanity but at the same time equal with God. He is human but he is God. Radical stuff. Verse 28. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This text tells us who can come to Jesus. Who can actually do it? It's those, through the influence of the Holy Spirit, have, have have developed a need that at somehow it becomes tangible in their life. There's something in them that says, I need something. And that something, that something is not a something, it's a someone. I need God. I need Jesus. Now, they may not be able to articulate it, but the only way to come to God is because that is there inside of you. He says, those, those who have wearied themselves trying to find a way to fill that hole, to fill that need within them, exhausted themselves searching for something or someone that will satisfy them. And, and, and listen, all of us, whether you've come to Jesus or not, we might feel as though we've been laboring through this life. And this is a call to... to lay all that down. That, that life is hard. Life can be hard. It's not always hard, right? Can, do, can we acknowledge that it's not always hard? Like yesterday was, no, yesterday was kind of a medium, medium hard. You know, the day before that, well, that was not bad. Yeah, we, we go through these cycles. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's easy. Jesus says that we ought to lay those things down at his feet and, and, and let him carry us. The the burden he gives us is light. We sometimes carry so much more than we need. If you're feeling like this life is heavy and oppressive, it's because you're carrying something that that you're not supposed to be. Because what Jesus gives you, you can carry, even when that something is hard, painful, grief-inducing. If Jesus lays that on you, you can carry it. the rest we seek which is what what we were created to experience rest with god the rest we seek is only found in jesus god's desire for our lives is that we would find rest for our souls even when life is not easy that we do it that we would find that rest in jesus while we wait for him to come and to take us come and get us True satisfaction cannot be found apart from Jesus. True true fulfillment, true anything cannot be found apart from Jesus. Our, Our souls will only be satisfied in Christ. Verse 15 said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the question we need to ask ourselves Am I listening? Do I have spiritual ears to hear what God is saying? David, I don't know if David's close. There he is. David and the team are going to come up. I don't know if, just you, David? Everyone. David and the team. They're going to come up and play a song. I gave you just enough time to do it. And as you, I'd like you to participate in this song. I'd like you to sing. I'd like you to worship. I'd like you to praise in this song. I, I want you to do that every time. David and, his, and the team leads us, but I, I want you to examine your heart. The rest, the true spiritual rest that we seek is available to us. To whom? All of us. Anyone who has Christ in them, anyone who has God, anyone who has the Spirit of God in them can know God's rest and ask yourself, as I'm gonna pray, while I'm praying, you ask yourself, is my soul at rest? Or is there something I'm carrying that Jesus would have me lay down at his feet? Today would be a great day to experience God in a fresh way. And it begins by allowing the Spirit of God to bring your soul into that place of rest in Christ. And that requires us laying down the burdens that we've been carrying that we shouldn't be. Trusting him that he will do what he's going to do for you. So I'm gonna pray, and then the team will lead us in the song. I'd encourage you again, I encourage you to sing along. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for this time. And I pray, Lord, for your people, whatever... whatever, Things they might be wrestling with and struggling with in their hearts, Lord, that they would lay those things down right now. Trusting, Lord God, that you care about those things more than we do. And that, Lord, you have a plan. And if we will trust you, that we can find rest for our souls. And so wherever any one of us are this morning, I pray that you would bring us to that place of rest. While we may not have peace around us we can have peace in us, and that peace is Jesus Christ. And I pray if there's anyone here and they have not started a relationship with you or, or their relationship is cooled, I pray, Lord, that you would do that work in their heart right now too as well. Bring them into, your, into your, your presence, God. Revive them, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever they need. I pray that you do that for them right now. For all of us, Lord God, you're calling us to go from this place as light and salt. Because the world needs to see Jesus. The world needs to hear about Jesus. And that, and, those, and, and that seeing and hearing is going to be through your people, through your church. So help us to be that. Give us the courage. Give us the faith. Give us the power. Give us whatever we need so that we can be light and salt to this, to this dark and, and dying world. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are. And we pray. We pray right now, Lord God. Help us to find your peace. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com/connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.